We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. My name is Dr. Heidi Forbes Osta, and today I've got Laura Di Benedetto calling in from the beautiful Hawaii. I'm a little bit jealous, I have to say. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. It's truly nice to be here with you. So, Laura, you have just, or your, or your book is about to come out, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that, The Six Habits. But first, I want to find out how the heck did you end up in Hawaii? That's sort of one of those dream locations that a lot of people think, as a nomad, would be a good place to land. Well, they'd be right. I lived in Massachusetts my whole life. And I always loved to travel. And my husband and I were celebrating my retirement. And we were here. And I was like, I had done the same thing I had done on every trip to Hawaii or, you know, Europe. Man, I'd love to live here. And then I was like, wait a minute. I can. I don't have to stay in Massachusetts anymore. Should we do it? You know? And then my husband and I were like, you know what? Yeah, let's do it. And of course, we had that. <gasps> are we really doing this? Oh my God, oh my God. Kind of um, overwhelming excitement, but we ripped off the Band-Aid and took about nine months, but here we are. That's awesome. And so, I mean, coming from Massachusetts, you think it's like, it's of course still within the US, but there's a very different culture between living in Massachusetts and particularly not even like, you know, downtown Boston, but you're talking about sort of a more of a rural area, suburban area, and then going all the way to Hawaii. What were mm -hmm. some of the big adjustments that you had to make in terms of culture or experience or just adjusting your expectations in that move? Okay. So having spent a lot of time in Massachusetts, I know you're going to get this. Massachusetts is, it's a very like fast paced state for the most part. Like you say you're, you need to be there at 9am, you better be there at 8.55. You know, you're on time and things start when they're going to start. Aloha time is a real thing. You know, it, it starts at like three-ish. You know, people just late. There's a lot of just like very casual, like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. And um, I'd say culturally, like I've had to take some of my Massachusetts tendencies and just like really seriously calm down and just go with the island flow. Because the whole reason I wanted to be here was because of the cultural difference, because it's much more calm and appreciating life. And I had to actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just being like, oh, what do you mean? They're not on time. <laughs> I had to get over it. I still struggle some days, but you know, with the pandemic, nobody, there's nothing happening. So it doesn't matter. Absolutely. So, I mean, I would imagine that a lot of that really fed into your thinking when you were writing Six Habits. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that, what the book's about and, you know, what we can expect? Sure. Okay. So, the Six Habits is a book about happiness, actually. And I figured this out after years of doing all the things to achieve all the stuff you're supposed to achieve that the world tells you this will make you happy. Make sure you have all the money and you do all the things and you acquire and buy and have and whatever. And I did all of it, but I didn't feel any happier for it. So when I was on the brink of retirement, and this was in 2018 before I moved, now I'd been here several times, I was like, wait a minute. I did all this work and I retired. I should be the happiest person on the planet. Like I'm not even 40 and I retired. What is going on here? 
So I just got really curious. I wanted to know what was going on. And I started just doing this big research project because being a Massachusetts person, I feel like I'm naturally bred to be a type A person. So I was just very like, you know what? I see a problem. I'm going to crush it and squash it like a bug. So I'm sitting there at home and I'm just like, wow, what is this? So I started to work to define, well, what is happiness anyway? Well, it's not, it's not stuff. It's not money. Those things can maybe give you happiness for like a minute, but you know, happiness comes from inside. But then the next question that I had was, well, that's lovely. How do we actually find it? And what is the wellspring? Through my research, I was able to discover that the six habits are the pillars of creating happiness from within because turns out having a good relationship with yourself is the thing that gives you an unbelievable relationship with your ability to do anything you want in your life and your the lens through which you view your life. So I did all this, this research and I started changing my own life massively. And the six habits was not written as part of my move, but it inspired my ability to gain the courage to move more than 30 minutes away from my mom, which was a big deal for me. <laughs> Travel is one thing, but moving 5,000 miles away is that's another matter. And you know, my courage was always in the boardroom. My courage was never like in doing things like picking up and moving. But this was a big deal for me. Absolutely. And the ability to pivot when you have that strength and the happiness is really a powerful thing that a lot of people, I think, particularly when we're talking about global nomads and people that aspire, whether they're aspiring digital nomads or whether they're forced to do remote work or whatever it is, that's a big transition to make. And a lot of people either are afraid of the leap or when they do, they don't necessarily fully embrace it because they, they don't find the happiness piece. They're searching for something else. What are some of the things, what are some of the tools that you use in order to really achieve that? I think, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit, but can you go a little more into detail on some of the things that you do? Sure. The first trick with any of this stuff, I wouldn't even call it a trick. The first thing that everybody needs to know with any sort of advancement anyone wants to make within the pursuit of happiness, you got to be really self-aware. You have to really take a strong, good, honest look at who you are and how you're showing up to yourself and how you're showing up to others and how you're responding to the challenges and foibles of life. And so I'll tell you what the six habits are briefly, because we only have an hour. So we've got kindness, which is kindness to yourself. Most people hear kindness and they automatically think of generosity to others. Kindness to yourself is being your own nurturing parent. It's saying the, you know what? You can do this. You got this. You look great today. And if you want to be in jammies all day, you do you, boo. It's important. Acceptance is radical, unconditional, like self-love. Gratitude is the third habit. And gratitude is, it's very broad and very deep. And this is the ability to find the gifts inside of perhaps a traumatic experience. But it's something that like, once you start finding the good in everything, you, you develop the habit of seeing life differently. So habit number four is presence. I struggle with shiny object syndrome. So presence is always going to be a challenge for me, but it's something that I always work on and choosing this moment, this task, goodness, which is so important right now in this world. It's energy management. What are you allowing in? What are you repelling? Are you inviting good energy in and adding it intentionally? Or are you, know, are you allowing people to encroach on boundaries? Do you even have any? So that's important. And the final habit is intention. Are you building your life with purpose? Are you building it with intention or are you just a tumbleweed in someone else's idea of what your life should look like? So I take all of these different things and I have definitely mastered five of these habits, presence I still struggle with. <laughs> but these are the pillars of an incredible life, but it begins with a really raw 
self-inventory. And I think, I mean, now is a really good time for us to think about a lot of these things because some people do have a chance to basically, like with everything else, it's sort of all come apart. And so we're trying to figure out how to put those pieces back in together. So taking those things into account, the gratitude and the kindness and the presence and intention, and I'm missing one or two there. But each one of those things are so critical for us to be able to self-reflect and say, like, what's going on inside and how can I move forward feeling better? And regardless of where you are on the planet and who you're engaging with, I think those are really critical factors. So thank you for digging deeper into those. I look forward to to reading and, and sharing that with our audience when it comes out in thank you June. June. Is that correct? June 1st. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. And I heard you're going to be coming out with an audiobook version because you've got this awesome microphone, which we love <laughs> as podcasters to hear that people are actually going to create an auditory version because a lot of people, that's the best way to go when you're traveling, you're sitting on a plane, you're sitting on a train or sitting in your bathtub, whatever it is, you know, you want to... Or cleaning your house for the 95th time. I mean, Exactly, exactly. So here's a good time to be able to consume things in different ways. Mm-hmm. Now you came from, I want to do a little bit of a pivot because you came from an advertising and marketing background. So mm-hmm. how have you seen, I mean, you were able to sort of build it up enough that you were able to sell it off and move on and tire. But in the time that you were working with up until 2018, what did you really see in terms of the change in that time and the sort of, you know, the, the scope and scale of being able to reach international audiences? I never did international marketing. So I still own the company. And one of my biggest objectives over all those years was to fire myself, but still retain ownership. So I've never enjoyed being fired more in my life. It's been very satisfying. But yeah, I've never really done a lot of international work. We did a lot of marketing for small business, medium-sized businesses, a lot of things that were localized to the New England area. It's really cool, but it's definitely very interesting just to see how people are experiencing the market shifts right now. I've honestly, like now that I'm getting an education company going, I'm like, oh, look at all the things I don't know. That's cool. I feel like some of my education is, and my knowledge is a little dusty in the marketing department because I I didn't know anything about funnels and this and that. It's like, oh, no, no clue. (laughs) Well, and things are changing so much. I mean, even we've seen in the last, I would say the last three years, this incredible wave going from how we get our messaging. And that's changed over the years. But in the last three years, there's sort of been this disintegration of email. And part of it is generational, but part of it is just the different ways that we receive messages, whether it's through WhatsApp, whether it's through text, whether it's through Snapchat, Instagram, you know, Facebook messaging, whatever. There's all these different outlets for us to receive information and to be able to filter through those Especially when you have, if you have an audience or a community that is very widespread to be able to sort of, it's the shiny object syndrome. It's like to try to reach them all or to really filter it down to that which is relevant so that we can maintain that happiness and be kind to ourselves and allow ourselves the time to breathe and to be. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think one of the things that's just always been universal is no matter what you do, you have to niche down. And the internet is a great place. Obviously, it's where I've made my wealth. But social media is, it's nice because it gives you the opportunity to really get super clear about your message because people will just flat out reject it unless you're super clear. 
And the more you niche down, the more people want it. That's been a marketing truth since I started and way before that too. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, the clearer you are, and, and I, I find even with just launching this podcast, we only launched a couple of weeks ago, and I was really surprised by how quickly people really responded because they recognize themselves and I'm a digital nomad. It's like by giving it five different characteristics of like digital nomad, global nomad, expat, third culture kid, all of a sudden it was like, okay, we get it. This is something we need. And, you know, the clearer you are, whereas my other podcast, which is Evolving Digital Self, which covers all industries, it's just about the human relationship with technology. Mm. It's harder to get that clarity because it's, it's for everyone. Right. I know. I've actually, candidly, I've actually struggled with that with a little bit with the six habits because, you know, the thing is mastery of self. You can literally achieve anything through mastery of self. But herein lies the caveat as a marketer. Rule number one, you never, ever, ever market to the anybody's and everybody's. Mm -hmm. Except, <laughs> so now I get to kind of just pick the niche I want to work in. And I tend to focus on a lot of rebels, people that they just hate following the rules and hate living life according to someone else's definition, including maybe their parents. It's just like, no, actually, to your point, you know, I want to be a digital nomad. I, no, mom, I'm sorry. I really want to live my life on the road. And, you know, I work with, uh, well, the stubborn hearts. So tell me a little <laughs> bit about the, I mean, the stubborn hearts, exactly. I mean, that is a lot of the people that choose that you know, the alternate path that road less traveled. And they're the ones that are ending up as digital nomads or global nomads. And some of them do it by force. They're, you know, they don't have a choice, right. certainly. But for those who are aspiring to be and maybe haven't made that leap yet, what would be some of the things that you would encourage them to do in order to maintain their businesses while they're taking that leap? Well, there's a couple of different things, you know, to kind of factor in. I mean, you know, before I say that, let me just say that like I built my first company to be a very like kind of brick and mortar style business where it's very localized, et cetera, et cetera. My second company is it's very like, you know, geographically independent. It doesn't matter where I am. So I would say, you know, the advice I would have for people is to really just take stock of what your priorities are in life. Like, is it really, really hyper important to you that you travel and see the world? For me, the answer is yes. And I always tell people this piece of advice, no matter what it is regarding travel or quality of life or the ability to wake up with an alarm clock, whatever your goal is, don't build yourself around your business. I did that for too many years and you end up unhealthy, unhappy, just un-everything, okay? But when you can actually build your company around you and who you truly are, not who you think you should be, but who you actually are, things work a little bit better. Like I'm the person... I sleep like seven and a half, eight hours every night, like clockwork. I do not need an alarm clock. And it actually makes me angry to wake up with one. So I don't. And I don't set meetings before a certain time. And I've made it so my business can exist online. I've made it so I can also fire myself from this company too. I like being fired. It's a whole thing. It's a mood. <laughs> I just like... The thing is, like, if you remove yourself from the magic of the business and what it is that makes it work, but you're the kind of, I say this with a smirk, like the evil mastermind behind the whole thing. And, and you're the one that's like building the machine. You can build the digital enterprise. You can build like an education company. You can build intellectual property. And, and ultimately, like no one ever really got rich by selling their time for money. 
you have to build a machine and you have to make it so it runs when you're sleeping and you can make money when you're brushing your teeth. That's really, really important. And you can do that with just about any concept. I mean, even if like there's lots of people out there that want to do coaching on the road, I was listening to one of your podcast guests talking about how she does, she was doing coaching all over the road on her eight month journey with her husband. And that's awesome. But you can also systematize that and make it so you're sharing your IP with the world in a way that you don't need to wake up at any time that you don't want to. You don't need to do all these different things. And you can essentially build whatever you want. You just have to start with who you are and then build around that. I love that. I think it's a really valuable lesson for a lot of us is to really think about what can be automated. What can be, what is the same thing that you do with every single client that you can automate? Then when you do have that quality time together, you can be fully present and focus on what's very specific to their needs, which lets you really specialize. And it's a really a valuable lesson and tool for a lot of us. I want to do a little bit of a shift because I know you also have a partner who comes from another country. And I think that there's always this fascinating dynamic. I'm married to a Swede and actually became a Swedish citizen after living there for a long time. And a lot of the people that come on the show have that kind of dynamic and then the resulting kids that are sort of the full mix from it. Can you tell us your story of where you met your husband? And, and uh, Sure. Sure. I met him in Boston. And so I lived outside of Boston, depending on traffic, anywhere between 35 minutes and an hour and a half. But I was in Boston already. I had an event two hours later. I had something fall through and I was like, wow, I'm like really, really early. So I went to this place that he was working. He was managing the place and just started chatting. And then I was like, oh, so what's your name? He's like, Amadeo. I'm like, oh, that's sexy. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I've always like, it's so weird, you know, like don't laugh at me for being like so, you know, hippy dippy or whatever. But I just, I always had this feeling in my gut that, my husband would be a very passionate Italian man that was very cultured, very traveled, very expressive, and would love me with the uh, passion of like a thousand sons. He does. But I just like, I found this guy and I was like, damn it, he's really interesting. And then I just started talking to him. I'm like, oh, do you speak Italian? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, you from Italy? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Meanwhile, I just felt like an American chump. <laughs> so I was like, okay. But I was ending my first marriage at the time and I did not want to get involved. I did not want to fall in love. Turns out I had no choice in the matter because the heart wants what the heart wants. And damn it, my husband is a really compelling man and he's just so smooth. So he won me over and he is an Italian citizen and he has applied for citizenship, but it just paperwork just is what it is. It never really went through. And I think they wanted him to renounce his Italian citizenship. And he's like, mm, no, that won't be happening. So we have an Italian citizen in our household, plus the American citizen. And actually, we live on Maui at the moment. We will not live here forever, as amazing as it is. I have always, always, always wanted to have a farm in Italy. And I just want to grow grapes and olives and basil and tomatoes and all the wonderful things that are so stereotypically Italian. And I just really want to be able to share the bounty of the land. And I'm like obsessed with the Italian culture. It's also my heritage. Di Benedetto is my last name. Primitera is his last name. Nice. Are your parents first generation or are they second generation? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> That's okay. No, it's just, yeah, it's interesting. They're not. I think they're like second or third. What's really fascinating to me, I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a very waspy New England household. You know, I'm 
sixth generation American, but my ancestors were English and Scottish, both sides. And the interesting thing is when you come from that heritage, uh, it doesn't matter which one it is, but the, you know that's very similar, you find that there's certain things that are passed down that are, are almost more celebrated and sort of acknowledged within the culture as a fifth generation or sixth generation away from that country than they are at home. I mean, for like tea time was a religious time in my family. Like you knew three o'clock, you meet for tea hmm. and you, you know, you sit down and you have, it was just, it was very British, but, and you go back to, you know, go back to Britain and they're That's like, cool. yeah, I'm drinking coffee. You know? <laughs> I'm the one that drinks the espresso in the household. Exactly. My I, husband just has regular crappy American coffee. And I'm like, but babe, we have this espresso machine and it's like, it's the good one that you stick on the stove and yeah. like, I make it like every morning and I'm the one. Yeah. So um, there's little traditions. More, yeah, yeah, exactly. But there's some things that like, so you've heard about the Italians and the Feast of the Seven Fishes around Christmas time. I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm not crazy about that tradition. I do not love that much fish. So I'm really glad that that was not something that was passed down. But I remember like dating other Italian men and it was like part of their tradition. I'm like, oh, great. Look, your aunt made like stuffed snails with shrimp inside. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to. So yeah, my, you know what? Growing up, I was so like just accustomed to hearing how like cultural my background is. And my mom loves it's that one genealogy website and it like goes through like all the generations. Oh, ancestry.com or that one. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah. Thank you. The brain was not working. So it okay. turns out I've got Italian, I've got Native American, I've got Dutch, I've got French, I've got English, I've got French, I've got this and that. So people are like, oh, what's your descent? You're I'm American of the world. <laughs> and I have a European descent, but I'm currently Americano living on Hawaii land. So I'm just citizen of the world. Really, and that's the way we all should be, and and really appreciate that, and appreciate all the richness that that brings with so many different cultures that overlap. And I mean, for me, no. a lot of that came uh, more as an adult when I started traveling. You know, I went over for my first study abroad when I was nineteen, and sort of never really came back. I mean, I came back and forth a bit, but my heart—I left my heart there. I was in Austria and Germany. Oh, and, awesome! Yeah, and then, uh, but I had studied French in school, so. I mean, I became fluent in German during that experience, and I actually chose that location because my mother had studied there when she was in high school and had always spoken so highly of it, and I was a big skier. And so for me, I wanted to go ski in the Alps, and so I chose there. And of course, it was the one winter there was no snow, absolutely none. Funny. So I did a lot of traveling, and uh, the Berlin Wall came down, so that was a pretty amazing year to be there because... No kidding. Wow. Yeah, you so, were really there for a big part of history. Yeah. So I was there 8990 and it really changed my whole perspective of the world and our role in it and our place in it and just feeling like something, a small part of a, a much bigger system. And um, it's humbling and awakening when you realize that like, oh, wow, there is so much to life. And I mean, I think, you know, just as an American, I can, I can just say that this country is so vast geographically that we don't always have the opportunity, like, for example, Europeans do, to just like bounce from country to country to country if, if we want to. And there's, you know, some of that, I guess, worldliness missing. But it's nice when we can actually get on an airplane, go someplace awesome, experience life and see the world through different eyes. I mean, I've done so much traveling and it's been the most intellectually and spiritually liberating thing I've ever done. What's you some know? of your favorite places? Oh my God. How much time do you have? 
<laughs> I just, ah, oh, man. So I would have to say I fell so hard in love with two cities. I mean, I've been to like millions of places. Costa Rica was high on my favorites list. Surprisingly, going for a swim in the ocean, not refreshing, not even a little. It's like just hopping in the bath. I was like, why aren't the beaches like loaded with people? That's why. Got it. But I'd say my two favorite cities, Barcelona and Milan. And uh, oh my God. Oh my God. So I'm an artist, right? I'm, I actually do a lot of oil paintings and stuff like that. Whether I'm good or not is debatable. But the thing that I wanted to do is I've always been obsessed with the art of Salvador Dali. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going. I'm going to go to his museum in Figueres, Spain. I'm doing it. So I went and I, I built a whole trip around going. And as previously mentioned, I am a type A. So I went online and I was looking at like top destinations. I intentionally walked everywhere because I wanted to eat everything and not come home 15 pounds heavier. But I got to see everything. And what I found is like Barcelona is a city of art and music and passion and, and like incredible architecture and food. Oh, baby, the food. I mean, like to travel is to eat. And oh my God. And I suppose Milan was the same way. So much culture, so much like beauty and music and art and design and creativity. And I mean, just as a very naturally creative person, it was like so fulfilling. And both of those cities as a solo female traveler, I felt very safe. So I traveled by foot everywhere and I felt safe the entire time. And that, that was really nice because I'm not stupid. I, I know that there are places in the world that just don't like it when women are alone and uh, women get preyed upon. But those two cities really left an indelible impression on me. Yeah. Have you been? Oh, yeah. Actually, I spend a fair amount of time in Barcelona because it's sort of where we fly in and out of to get to our house in France. So it's become nice. a, a very special place for me because I, every time I go, I meet up with some friends that live there and it's just, I get to sort of live the local life for. Isn't you know, it a night or two, and it's just a. I love Barcelona. It's I really do. It's there's so many wonderful things with it, and yet I still feel like there's so much more to explore. So I, I really admire the city, but it's it's also. I mean, culturally, it's got so much going on that it's just fascinating. And there's sort of the friction between the two, you know, the dichotomy and the cultures there, and sort of right now there's sort of you have this feeling of unrest, and yet there's sort of. A real appreciation for both sides. And yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. I found that too. Yeah, it's really yeah. fascinating. But I felt very safe there as well. And, uh, you know, I, I was staying with friends and, and went and had dinner with another friend and, you know, walked home at 1230 by myself and, you know, across the city yeah. and felt totally fine. And quite frankly, living in San Francisco, uh, which we were no, no longer there, but I would never have done that. I would have called yeah. an Uber. It, it's a, I think it's a totally different just like mentality, lifestyle, everything. I mean, I remember even Milan and some of the other great cities that I've been to, like, I don't know. It's just, it felt just more relaxed and not like, oh, I need to like attack this woman. And I never got cat calls, which thank you, because those actually make me feel really uneasy, you know? And here's the thing. I did all my solo travel after I married my husband because he's always invited me to do what makes my heart fulfilled because he's a smart man and he knows that a happy wife means a really good life for him. And I always come home like refreshed and relaxed and excited about life and like teeming with ideas. And like, I don't bring a laptop, I bring a notebook and like my head is like exploding with ideas and like solving every single problem in the universe. And by the time I get home, like 
I'm a happy human. And, you know, he does worry a little bit about me, but he's like, you know what, go be safe. And I tell him where I'm going. And he's like, okay, as long as you're safe. That's always what he says to me. Okay. As long as you're safe. That's awesome. (laughs) And he's from what part of Italy? He's from Abruzzo, a little town called Orsonia. Hmm. It's so cute. It is so cute. It's like the cutest little, like stereotypical, like really old world Italian town on the top of a hill, little village and like the little itty bitty stores. Everybody knows each other. Ciao. You know, they're just screaming across to the piazza to each other. And it's just like, I don't know, there's something really romantic about it, but I love it. Of course, being from there, you know, he'll say occasionally, he'll like the grumbles. He's like, oh my God, the old ladies, they all sit on their porch and they they all like talk about each other and there's no secrets and everybody knows you're there. And by the time you like, you've been there for two days, how midday, how you doing? You know, and like, you know, oh, this happened in your life. Like, oh, you want privacy? No, there will be none of that in Orsonia, which I actually think is really endearing. Well, I, and I feel the same way in our little town where we have our house in France. I mean, everybody knows who I am and I'm sitting there trying to make a list on a, in a notebook so I can, every time I meet someone, I actually write down their name and, and sort of, you know, where do they live and, you know, who are they, whatever, because they all know who we are because it's a tiny little town and, you know, we're the, we're the new people. So, oh yeah. So you're yeah. very interesting. Yeah. We're, we're very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not a lot happening. So you got to track one. What are oh, those new people? They're doing a renovation on a house. What's going on? What <laughs> They all want a tour. It's, it's fascinating and yet very endearing. And I think that's really, really endearing. It's just, yeah. it's so heartwarming. And I think, you know, just being in a culture that isn't like that, you know, the American culture is, isn't like that, you know, and you, at least what I've experienced living on Maui so far, it's not quite like that, at least not for the people from the mainland. There just isn't this big like welcoming, hey, you're a big part of the family. Oh, you're renovating your house. Can we see? Like there's there's none of that here. Mm-hmm. But it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. I mean, I gotta say, like half the reason I love travel is just because of the food. And there's no shortage of amazing food in Italy, including the porchetta. Oh my God. Have you been it? to Peru yet? I haven't. It's oh on my list. I haven't God, even touched South America because honey keeps telling me. Really? If you like food, honey, you need to go to Lima. <laughs> okay. Listen, there's a very, very large woman inside of me that is constantly trying to get out. And with this pandemic, she's starting to sneak her way out. And I'm a little upset. But Lima, okay. But actually, turning 40 at the end of this year. And a big thing that I really wanted to do is kind of go down through South America and then finish my trip in Antarctica. Ooh. That sounds like an exciting trip. Well, we'll look forward no, to interviewing penguins. after that one because I'm sure you'll have some great stories. Well, yeah, it, if I take the Drake Passage, then th- that'll be very interesting. <laughs> the vomit comet. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. You know what? This has been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. And I want to make sure folks can find you. What's the best way for them to track you down and find out more information about the work that you're doing or how to reach you if uh, they're curious about working together with you? on your education Uh, or whatever it is your next project is. (laughs) Thanks. The best way to find me is visiting the6habits.com. The word six is spelled out, the6habits.com. It's connected to my Facebook, my Instagram, this and that. There's, I think there's even a link to Vision Advertising in Massachusetts if you wanted some marketing help. The woman that runs the company is like unbelievable. So that's always nice. But you can like pre-order the book there or depending on when you listen to this, you can get to Amazon, listen to this podcast. There's a whole bunch of really neat stuff on my website. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Well, we look forward to applying those six, uh, those six habits and making or bringing a little more happiness into our lives. I think that's a, so a pretty powerful tool and a lesson for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
Truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review and share with your friends. The more we grow our audience, the more we can spread the word and spread the joy about being a global citizen and working on making this whole world a better place. Until next time, bye-bye for now.